This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. I would think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a charge the ground and see if a chart holder at 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mixing 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, at speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the real finance mentor, or as I call it, RFM. This is episode 8 of the Real Finance Mentor podcast and I'm the host yours truly Binod Shankar. Now that we are in the pandemic era, innovation is the necessity of a podcaster and I decided to be inventive. So, lo and behold, my first solo episode. And before you run away, you must know it's about a critical strategic topic and that is why do CFA and CFA versus MBA. Worry not, at the risk of sounding immodest you will be engaged at this stage i normally introduce my guests but me introducing me will make me sound weird so join me and get ready to listen learn and grow even in this unprecedented times Now this episode is different because I am doing this solo. Why you think? Well, partly because I like to hear the sound of my own voice, but really I mean seriously because there are quite a few queries that have been addressed to me over the past few weeks and months and I want to deal with that in this very unique episode of the RFM podcast. So why this episode you think? Yeah. Well, like I said I want to focus on some common queries about the CFA program. clear some misconceptions about the CFA program so the agenda would be what is CFA what are the careers that you can get with the CFA qualification and we'll also touch upon CFA versus MBA/masters yeah the perennial question i get asked all the time i'm going to keep this episode short so i won't talk about the criteria you get into CFA or the curriculum no the topics etc of cfa or how to write and pass the cfa exams uh, all those topics have been covered and i will keep covering those in my blogs and my linkedin post yeah so that'll be taken care of so let's start this episode the first topic right the first heading what is cfa right well it's a postgraduate qualification right roughly equivalent to a masters in finance it focuses on investing specifically valuation and portfolio management it's a technical qualification which means it is deeper than it is wider it prepares you to become a practitioner it is not your guaranteed entry to a top career in finance i must stress this because people think that once you finish all three levels once you get the charter you know all the doors are going to be open for you that's not the case okay there is there's a lot more than just getting the charter And for more information regarding the curriculum, the exams, the criteria, please go to the CFA Institute website, which is www.cfainstitute.org, and you get a lot of information there. Yeah. 
So the next topic or the next area to talk about is what are the related careers? In other words, what careers does the CFA qualification prepare you for? Well, firstly, CFA is not about finance in quotes. Okay? It's actually not even about investments in quotes. It's actually about investment management. So as you can see, CFA actually is a very niche qualification with a very niche curriculum and focus. So it's not meant for everyone. It's meant for people who want to have careers in one or some of these three areas. What are the three areas? Number one, asset management. Asset management, again, I'm not going into great detail here. This is basically managing money, whether it's a mutual fund, hedge fund, pension fund, or sovereign wealth fund, all these funds, like for example, BlackRock or State Street or Reliance Funds or, or uh, you know, the uh, insurance Investment Corporation of, uh, of Singapore or with Abu Dhabi Investment Authority idea right here in the UAE uh, is the example of a sovereign wealth fund. This is where lots of CFA charter holders end up working. In fact, I think the significant part of them work, end up working there as either an analyst or as an associate or you work as a you know, deputy fund manager or senior portfolio manager, etc., etc. That's the first one, asset management. The second one is called wealth management. Now, wealth management is what you call private wealth management. You, you don't manage institutional money. You manage the wealth of uh, rich people, what you call HNIs, yeah? high net worth individuals. Yeah? So there you can be a relationship manager, you can be a product specialist or investment advisor who will advise the relationship managers, who will advise the clients on markets, on asset classes, on specific instruments. Uh, you have wealth management departments of big banks. Almost every major bank around the world has a wealth management department uh, and they employ CFA charter holders as well. The third area where you see CFA charter holders and where the qualification really prepares them for is investment research, either equity research or bond research or some other kind of asset research. Yeah, So you could, for example, be an equity analyst issuing recommendations to buy, hold or sell a stock. You could be working on the buy side, which means working with investors, or you could be working on the sell side with brokers, for example. Uh, you could be working as an analyst or as an associate. So here, basically what you're doing is this is a very technical job, by the way. This is probably the most technical of all three that I mentioned, where you use discounted cash flows, price multiples, economic analysis, company analysis, country analysis. Uh, it's very fundamental driven. Of course, some technical analysis might be thrown into the mix as well, but it is quite technical and a lot of valuation work to be done. Is a stock overpriced, underpriced? What are the risks involved, etc., etc.? So three areas, again, I want to stress which CFA really prepares you for. Asset management, wealth management, investment research. Now, I get people saying, hey, I want to break into investment banking, or I want to break into risk management, or I want to be a trader in stocks. Um, I think I should enroll for CFA. Now, sure, you can enroll for CFA, but that's not really what CFA is preparing you for. If you want to get into investment banking, you know, investment banking is mostly about, of course, there is some element of valuation and, and analysis, of course. There's a lot of other stuff involved. Uh, there's also, of course, a lot of financial modeling. There's a lot of communications, presentation to prospective clients and investors involved there. 
uh, where networking becomes very important, right? So if you want to crack investment banking, then you should get into uh, an MBA from a top school, is my recommendation, right? Uh, CFA, sure, you'll find CFA charter holders in investment banking, but really speaking, an MBA would get you a, a bigger chance, a better chance of getting into invest IB. Number two, risk management, yeah? Risk management in a bank or in a fund. Again, yes, CFA does cover bits of risk management, uh, especially in level two and three, but again, it's not really a qualification meant for risk management. You probably want to look at something like the FRM, right? The financial risk manager, which is purely, purely focused on risk and the different kinds of risk and how do you identify, measure and manage them. And if you want to be a trader, a day trader, an online trader, again, sure, CFA covers valuations and equities and bonds and all those things. But actually, it's actually training you or preparing you to become an investor not a trader, if you know the difference. I mean, a trader is short-term, speculative, uh, uses a lot of technical analysis, not so much fundamental analysis, whereas the investor is more long-term, more strategic, uh, more complex fundamental analysis driven, right? Uh, he's not bothered about timing so much as, you know, making a return for his investors over the long-term. So that is basically the, you know, the areas which CFA doesn't really uh, prepare you for, right? Now, I should also talk about expectations. One reason why people sometimes get disappointed when they get into CFA is they actually come with very unrealistic expectations uh, when they enroll for the program, right? And one unrealistic expectation I see a lot is about switching your areas. So for example, if you want to switch from an area like IT or financial accounting or retail banking or engineering, you know, and you want to get into, say, investment management, uh, irrespective of your age, don't really expect CFA to make that happen. Because, like I said, um, it's basically meant for investment management. But remember, there are people who are far younger than you, more qualified than you, more experienced than you, who are out there looking for the same job. So why would an employer hire someone who is in his early 30s or mid-30s and suddenly he wants to change his career. I mean, he might be bright and hardworking and resourceful, etc., etc. I'm not denying that. But the reality is switching gets more difficult, especially with increasing age. The younger you switch, the better. Now you're saying, of course, hey, you know, it's very theoretical, right? I mean, if I knew that I wanted to do this when I was younger, I would have switched when I was younger. You didn't know that. You want to discover yourself now. True, but they became pros and cons, right, of trying to switch at such a late age. Uh, if you want to switch again, go for a top MBA because I know people who have been engineering or IT and actually I've interviewed quite a few of them uh, on my podcast and they made the jump from engineering or IT to investment banking, which is a huge jump, right? Uh, right in the heart of the city in London. But they managed that because they went to a top MBA school in the US and they got in through campus selection into a top bank. Now, that's again, we'll talk about MBA and, and the pros and cons later, but that's how you want to sort of, that's what will facilitate your jump, but not necessarily by studying for three to five years and logging for thousand hours and getting a CFA charter, which while might enrich your learning a lot, may not get you into the career path that you want. So time to talk about CFA, drill down into the pros and cons, right? The pluses and minuses. Now, I should stress that some of these points I'm going to mention are not really pros and cons. 
but are really deliberate features of the program because of what they're trying to prepare you for. So don't see it as a negative or as a huge positive. That's the way the course is designed. Although some are clear benefits, some are clear pros, right? As you can make out. Yeah. Now let's talk about the pros, right? Because I'm a positive guy. Let's start with the plus points of CFA. Number one, easier to get in. All you have to have is a degree. In fact, you can write level one when the final year of a degree program. So that's easy. Number two, it's relatively cheaper. I use the word relatively, right? And I'm comparing to a master's or MBA program. I mean, you might spend approximately, if you self-study, about $3,000 over about three years, an average of three years, which, to be honest, to get a world-class qualification like this is a steal. Yeah? It is self-study like any other certification like CA or CPA or ACCA, you know, which are all self-study, uh, which also means that it is more flexible. You decide when to study and when to prepare for and write the exam. Of course, the exam dates are fixed, but then you pick which exam slot you want to write. Yeah? Uh, you can study and work, which means you earn while you study, which is a huge advantage, right? I mean, um, you can't just take uh, two years off sometimes for MBA. So, you know, CFA is a very cost-effective solution. Of course, it's unique. I mean, there's only one CFA institute globally, right? Thankfully. Um, and this en endows it with a lot of uh, what they call uh, credibility. It is the gold standard in investment management globally, not finance, investment management, because as I said, CFA is a niche qualification. It will make you technically fluent because it's technically very rigorous. As I mentioned, it is deep, but not very wide. You'll become a practitioner. You'll become a technically fluent practitioner. You will learn a huge amount about investing. Uh, irrespective of your background. And that's one key takeaway I've got from almost all my students, right, over the last 12 years. You will learn a lot about uh, investment tools, uh, economics, quants, uh, financial reporting, equities, bonds, derivatives, alternatives, real estate, whatever. You'll cover all that, right? It's highly respected. Um, it's got a great network of uh, alumni in terms of members and charter holders and probably across about 140 countries. And you have local societies and events in almost every country, right? I mean, I'm with CF Emirates. I'm on the board of CF Emirates. We have about 1,000 members. We're one of the largest societies in the region. And we have regular events, either face-to-face -face or in the form of webinars and things like that, right? Uh, same holds true for societies in India and in China, you know, and of course, every country in Europe, uh, quite a few countries in Africa, etc., etc., right? So those are pro pros of... Um, the CFA program, right? Now, the cons, again, when I say cons, I just mean relatively, and I also mean that some of those cons actually design features, um, not flaws as such. Everything is relative, right? So, one con, of course, obviously, I think you know that anyway, it's very hard to pass relatively. It's very easy to get in, but very difficult to get out, right? Um, the 20% pass rate on average of people who pass out of level 3 compared to those who go into level one, this gives an indication of how tough this program is. Of course, pass rates vary by region, but global average is about 20%. Yeah. A lot of time required. I mean, you should prepare for about 1,000 plus hours of study over, I would like to say two years or three years, but actually it's quite indeterminate. It all depends on how hard you work, how much time you have, how focused you are, right? Uh, I finished mine in two years flat, that's because I was obsessed with getting the CFA and I was allowing no distraction to stop me or delay me.
If you're weak in accounting and or finance, you will struggle in CFA. I said struggle, I didn't mean it's impossible, you can do it. But a lot of level one and level two is about financial reporting and analysis. And if you have a good background in finance or accounting, especially either in college or through CA or ACC or CPA, it helps a lot. And forget about the exams, actually. Even if you become an equity analyst or a portfolio manager, you will be basically tearing apart financial statements. So you've got to know your accounting very, very well, right? Finance is built on a solid basis of accounting, as you know. If you fail, you must write the entire exam again. This isn't like university or college or some programs where, you know, if you fail two subjects out of five, you just need to write the five. No. If you fail level one, you have to write all the 10 topics of level one again. Same thing goes for level two and physically for level three as well, which can be a pain as you imagine, right? I mean, writing all, all the topics, studying for all the topics. It's a self-study program. Unlike college where you have professors and a curriculum and structured classes and, you know, assignments and interim evaluations, this self-study, which means, as you should have imagined by now, you need to be really, really, hugely self-motivated to learn. I mean, you need a lot of self-discipline, self-motivation, you need a lot of self-drive because, hey, you'd be sitting away in your house plowing through derivatives or the intricacies of quants and you got to be able to have the grit and the growth mindset to basically research and crack that topic because otherwise you're not going to pass. Yeah. So that is very important. Then, of course, because it is self-study and you're not going to college, there's no campus, right? You're not meeting other participants as frequently as you would in college. You don't really pick up on soft skills, right? Things like uh, negotiation, teamwork, delegation, networking, which are very important in real life in career to get a job, to keep your job, to grow in your job. But because like all self-study programs, like all certifications, uh, you've got to pick it up separately on your own. So again, goes back to you know, motivation. You don't learn any real-life technical skill like financial modeling, um, which is, as you know, very important when you go into investment banking or equity research on many areas of finance, right? And it's one thing to know valuation theory. You know, you can probably recite to me line by line of the curriculum regarding DCF and price multiples and EV to EBITDA and blah, blah, blah. But probably if I give you a live case study of valuation, ask you to do that in Excel within the next three hours, you might struggle. And that's, again, because it's a self-study program and, and there's no practical application as part of the program. Although I must say that you don't get the charter unless you have four years of qualifying work experience, which the CFA insists should cover aspects of analysis and decision-making, investment decision-making which assumes that you would have done some of this bit anyway regarding financial modeling. But it's not part of the curriculum. There's no exam in CFA on financial modeling is what I'm trying to tell you, right? Of course, because again, it's a self-study program, certification programs, there is no campus placement, right? I mean, if you pass an MBA or a master's program, um, or you go to top college, you normally have campus interviews where top companies come and interview you, you know, and, and basically you get to pick uh, which which role you want to take in which company if you're in the top you know one um, percent or whatever doesn't happen that doesn't happen here which means that basically uh, the career strategy your career is in your hands which again uh, i see a lot of times among cfa students they sort of outsource the career or they forget about their career once they finish the cfa program 
because they think that's it. Well, that's not it. Actually, that's just the beginning. The CFA will open doors, but really barge in and get a job. You got to really work hard on your presentation and networking and soft skills. Yeah. And of course, a lot of people are passing the exam um, around the world, in India and China, right? Which means you need to stand out, right? It's getting increasingly difficult to stand out, but there are lots of ways of standing out. So if you're just another CFA level 2 or level 3 pass out or just another CFA charter holder, uh, it, may, it may be more difficult to get a job unless you can show that you're different from other people, that you have a special set of skills or knowledge or traits or behaviors, whatever, right? Um, whether it is financial modeling or real estate or, or uh, equity in emerging markets, something like that, right? So you need to have that to stand out. That's my spiel about you know, the CFA in terms of pros and cons, right? Let's talk about a program which CFA get always compared to. Actually, quite unfairly because it's not really, it's not really proper to compare the two. And this program is the MBA, the Masters in Business Administration, what you call Masters in Finance program, right? And I say it's not really fair to compare the both because both have very different uh, target audiences and they prepare you for different careers and hence the curriculum also is quite different. But comparison has to be made because people always think about this too. Um, again, when I talk about MBA, I'm talking about a full-time, like 18, 24-month program. I'm not talking about an executive MBA, right? Uh, also, again, when I say pros and cons, just like I said in CFA, they're not really pluses and negatives, more so as deliberate features of the MBA program. So just see it that way, right? Okay, so if you're ready, let's start talking about MBA. The pros of MBA. Well, the pro, one pro of MBA is it could be shorter than the CFA program as you must study and write exams as per a fixed schedule, right? Just like college. Uh, so MBA programs typically finish in what, 18, 24 months. Now, of course, you can finish a CFA program in 24 months. I did mine in two years. But a lot of people take three, some even take five years to finish, right? Because you can decide when you want to study and write the exam. Second point, second pro, um, if you can call it a pro or a plus point, is MBA is actually, in many instances, easier technically. Because, see, they're not preparing you to become a practitioner, even an MBA in finance, right? I mean, you might end up becoming a finance director or a CFO or whatever, or you might be a consultant uh, in a big four or McKinsey. But it doesn't go into that much depth into investment management or valuation or portfolio management the way CFA does. So in that sense... I say it's easier in quotes, technically, yeah. Um, another point that you'll see, because you have a classroom and you have professors and you have, you know, um, teaching lessons going on, if you go to top college, MBA college, some of these professors actually are thought leaders, right? So as a result, you get exposure to some fantastic new ideas even before they are made public uh, in finance, for example, right? That's a very great, very good idea, yeah. When you're an MBA, something else, um, like I said earlier about CFA, which won't happen in CFA, but which will happen in MBA, you will learn critical soft skills. So a lot of MBA program is about project work and group discussions and teamwork and making presentations to the professors and to, your, to other teams and debates. So over the next 18, 24 months, even the shyest, most introvert person would have to come out of his shell and engage and interact, right? And that, that's the way you learn. Unless you are forced to come out, you will never learn. Sitting at home, going through a pile of books, sure, you learn technical stuff, but you won't learn how to deal with people. Yeah. 
so you will learn soft skills yeah you will also get training on real world situations because mba courses the, the good ones are mostly case study based right and case studies based on actual examples or as close to real life as possible so simulations uh, games like i said project work all this means that you no know, you are getting very close to actually what you will do once you get a job Alumni network uh, again MBAs of course one reason why people go for MBAs is hey Harvard Business School or Stanford or Yale they have you know a global alumni network that grows every year and you go to most major cities around the world uh, if you are lost or trying to find connections just hook up with your Harvard or Yale or Stanford mate and he's probably quite influential and he can open doors for you so alumni network is quite helpful in advancing your goals be it career or otherwise yeah of course like i mentioned earlier um, campus placement big schools the big banks the big companies they come they look at the candidates and they hire lots of them most of the candidates uh, most of the students who come out of mba programs from the good schools they get hired even before the last day of school right which is fantastic because you know there's no uncertainty there uh, and and you can actually sometimes if you're good enough you can actually pick which company you want to work with and of course the brand name right i mean there's nothing that says you know this guy is smart hard working diligent like saying that you know did an mba from insiad or london business school or harvard or stanford or any of the top 10 20 uh, mba schools around the world right so all this is the pros of an mba program of course everything has downsides and mba is not an exception right and i'm sure a lot of you know the exceptions already but in my view the cons are number one there are too many mba colleges out there i mean there is of course harvard and stanford and yale and mit and you know all the big boys and then you have some obscure mba college from some remote town or city somewhere you haven't heard of in your life right which also means that you know if you want to enter the big league uh, there's no point going to a low ranked college right i mean i know it's tough uh, in terms of the gmat scores um and of course mbs colleges are very very expensive as well which is my next point right the top schools are quite expensive the college fees can easily run to 100000 or 150000 um plus tuition plus travel and let's not forget the fact that you're not working while you're studying so the actual what you call cost is not just how much you spend on the program and the flights and logistics blah 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 but also the fact that hey you could have earned you know uh whatever $60,000 $50,000 a year uh if you had not been doing the program uh however i should say that despite the fact that you no know, these ex- colleges are quite expensive you can get loans in fact it's quite it's a little loan fact that you do get loans from some big banks around the world uh which you can pay back after you finish the program of course loans come at a cost but what i'm trying to tell you is that you know it's not impossible to get into the big colleges just because you are smart but poor relatively speaking yeah uh again mba programs they are wide which was a pro right wide means you cover in mba finance program you don't just cover finance right you cover pretty much you know hr maybe operations bits of marketing uh bits of organizational study and um other stuff right and of course finance uh so with this there but there's not much technical depth relatively compared to cfa but then again like i said it's an unfair comparison right cfa is a practitioner's qualification mba is not but cons are cons right and of course the 1824 month that you spend at an mba school 
you can say it's quite inflexible and intense. Yeah, it's quite inflexible and intense because you can't decide when you want to study or write the exams. It's like college, right? I mean, basically, yes, you can pick your core courses and electives and all those things. But the start date and the end date and the dates of the exams are not fluid, right? They're largely fixed. Um, so again, unlike CFA, there's no flexibility on, 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 on writing the exam. So the summary, right? CFA or MBA? Well, it's actually apples versus oranges. There is actually no best in quotes qualification. Depends on what you're good at, what you like, your skills and your opportunities. If you want to be in investment banking, for example, uh, I'm not going to dig into that right now, but you should know the pros and cons of investment banking. Okay? It's a tough world out there, very intense, but can be very rewarding financially and intellectually. But like every career has pros and cons, right? If you want to be in asset management, again, there are pros and cons. So there are courses meant for careers, right? So what you should do is instead of saying CFA or MBA or CFA or Masters or CFA or CPA, you should decide what career you want. And then, and that should be based on your skills and what you like to do, right? And then pick CFA or MBA. I mean, and, and please, please be clear why you are starting CFA. Not just because all your friends and colleagues are doing it. Yeah, That's just not a good enough reason. Because trust me, you will give up very soon. Yeah. I'm going to repeat a point I made earlier, which is CFA is not a guarantee of a job or a career. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's an excellent first step, right? It's prestigious, it's respected, it's rigorous. Uh, it's, it's a signaling device. Signaling device in the sense that people know that, hey, this guy is smart and focused and ambitious enough to crack what is the toughest investment exam on this planet. So it signals to them that that's what you are, right? It's not going to land you a job because there are a lot of other things that comes with landing a job than just passing exams. You need to be good with people. You need to be able to network and interact and, of course, continuously stay up to date, especially in the field of investment management within finance, which, as you know, is, is quite evolving quite rapidly with you know, artificial intelligence, automation, etc., etc. Yeah. Now, of course, for more information, I will again draw your attention to the CFA Institute website, I'll repeat the URL, www.cfinstitute.org. So go over there, have a look at what the CFA program is about, uh, download the documents, listen to videos, Google. As always, Google is your friend and find out more before you jump in. And of course, stay connected to the Real Finance Mentor blog and the podcast for more tips like this on education, careers and finance. That's the whole idea why I started this website and this blog and this sports, uh, podcast so that you know, people out there who need information and guidance uh, can basically access it quickly and help them make up their minds. Yeah. So I hope this um, episode hasn't been boring as you might have imagined at the beginning. You know, Without a guest, um, it can be quite boring for you to listen to me droning on and on. But I hope it's been interesting and I hope that you know, it sort of uh, inspires you to look in the right direction. Okay? And, and research and uh, I hope you find what you want. It's an important decision, so take your time going about it. Don't jump in and sign up for a qualification. Think about what you want to do with your life. Talk to people, talk to seniors in the field, find out more about that field and then make your decision. Yeah, Drop me a line on my LinkedIn or you can drop me a line on my website. I'm happy to reply to any of your queries. 
This podcast was brought to you by The Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binot Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.